Welcome to How We Run, the podcast about nonprofit success. I'm Trent Stamp, CEO of the Eisner Foundation. And I'm Julie Lacature, and I help nonprofits with strategy, fundraising, and digital media. In this episode, we talk about volunteers with Joel Arkeos of 826LA, who shares his best practices about recruiting and retaining volunteers. I loved this interview because it shows how creating a community around your organization builds loyal volunteers and donors. What was your best volunteer experience? Oh, well, the best experience, without a doubt, was that... um, I was the president of Hermosa Beach Little League um, for several years um, on the board as well as a coach. Um, and, you know, people asked me at the time, they're like, oh, wow, that's fine. You, you know, you're dabbling at the Little League or whatever. Um, you know, we had a budget of around $200,000 a year, served 600 kids, um, had several hundred volunteers. And I would, uh, you know, I would, I would go out and, and, and look, you know, um, to fund organizations here in Los Angeles as part of the job. And I would run into, you know, executive directors who thought that they had really awesome, amazing nonprofits and they were overworked and underpaid and all those those kinds of things. And then I would realize that their nonprofit was no bigger than the one that I was trying to run with another board of, of other moms and dads in town. Um, and we were doing it like Tuesday nights when we got home from work. Um, so it was a full fledged, large nonprofit that was being run essentially with no paid staff, just like every other youth league in America for the most part. Um, but, uh, but that was a, some of the best memories of my life. And it was also an opportunity, um, to apply some of the things that I like to talk about, about running nonprofits, but I actually hadn't done in a long time cause I haven't really run a nonprofit other than the foundation, um, in 11 years. Uh, what made it a good experience? It sounds like you were personally invested because your kids were in Little League, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, the, the key aspect to it was that I knew that if we and the other board members did a good job with the stuff that we were doing, um, then the kids would have a positive experience. And I was able to see two of those kids every night when they came home to my house. Um, and so if they were making quality memories and I was making quality memories too, because I was, you know, coaching two teams and my wife was the scorekeeper. And so we were, um, down at the field every night, you know, living the baseball life. Um, but I think that was one of the things that really made it a positive experience was that, um, it mattered to me and I could see really positive impacts for people that I cared about. One of the volunteer experiences that stands out to me is I was a volunteer when I was in college at a domestic violence center in Syracuse, New York, and they, I was, I was studying advertising and they're like, oh, you know everything about communications. And I was like, I am 19 years old, right? No, I do not. Um, But they had me, they were working on something with their, the women in their center on um, giving them business skills. And so they had me. I mean, I did a volunteer job, which was that I retyped basically a marketing manual for them. But I learned so much about how they were running and what they were doing. And then also by retyping a manual, learned quite a bit of marketing during it. But it was a not a great job, but a really nice fit for me at the time. And I think that's why it resonated with me. Well, yeah. I mean, that's one of the keys, right? Yeah. Is that you're looking for something that matches your skill set. Right. um, And something where you can see an impact. 
Um, and, you know, let's let's be fair that, you know, a, a good volunteer experience has something in it for the volunteer. Absolutely. Um, you and know, I, think I wouldn't have volunteered I, to be the yeah. Little League commissioner if it didn't mean I could be the Little League coach because, right. you know, I like baseball and I was an athlete who at some point someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, that's it. You don't get to play anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by being on the field, I got to, you know, live through other people for a few more more years. Um, not every volunteer opportunity is that obvious right. and that selfish, but when you're looking to create volunteer opportunities, you have to find a way to let people get something out of it or else they're not going to come back. Exactly. And I think the thing that, cause like when I look back on that volunteer job, I was like, that was arduous, right? Like that was not fun by any, by any stretch of the imagination. But at the end of the day, the women in the center would always like just be like, thank you so much for doing that because you're doing that. We're able to do this. And they did a very good job of showing me the greater impact. And I'm sure you felt that in oh, yours absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Um, so today we're talking to Joel Arquios from 826LA. Love Joel. Yeah, Joel's great. So I think the thing that I want to chat with you about, about 826, is um, the fact that they've done some good work on on a, a diversity of volunteers. I feel like they've been deliberate about uh, changing changing their tactics to bring in older volunteers. Well, some of that deliberation, to be honest, is because we paid for it. Yes. Uh, that comes actually, from their partnership with you. Exactly. We actually have a program with them um, where we have encouraged them through some funding um, to diversify their volunteer base and specifically um, to recruit senior volunteers. We are big advocates for senior volunteers. We've done a lot of research um, and we have found that senior volunteers are oftentimes the best volunteers. Um, They're more reliable, which anybody who's ever run a volunteer coordinator type position knows the number one thing you're looking for is, will your volunteer be there when they said they'd be there? Um, They stay longer, which is the second thing that people are looking for, because it's great to have somebody show up once a year for, you know, Big Sunday or something. But what you really need at an organization is somebody who comes every week and who stays for a while, a few years. You don't have to stay your whole life, but stay a while because you get the hang of it. You develop relationships with the kids. If that's who you're working with, um, you become a reliable person in their life. Um, and you know, you're able to then train other people, build a cohort of friends, whatever. There's just great value in staying for a while. So seniors are more reliable. They stay longer. Um, and then this is that those are not meant to just be faint praise. They're also, they're just better. Um, they really are. The data shows that they're more empathetic. The data shows that they're better teachers. The data shows that children are conditioned to learn better from people who are much older than they no are. No kidding. It's a hundred percent true. And wow. There's something about just the dynamic there or something biological about it that they're used to learning. Um, um, you know, environmentally from, from people who are, um, older than they are. Um, and, you know, for the most part, you know, a, a, a grandma who's down there doing it for the right reason, not to pad her resume, but to make it a better place to provide opportunities for those kids. Um, oftentimes the children that these people are working with at these nonprofits, they're not easy. They're not easy kids. This isn't like some sort of Kaplan Center, you know, where they're down there paying a lot of money for SAT prep. These are kids that may be struggling in school, may not have a home life that allows them to um, to study at home. Um, so 
they're hard or kids and the 23 year old that's really smart, but has not necessarily been around kids like that. Um, he's not as good as the grandma who goes, yeah, I got it. Why are you acting like a fool? Um, sit down, be quiet and let's get this done here. She's got a been there, done that kind of factor, which is really valuable when it comes to volunteers. Joel Arquios. I'm the executive director of 826LA. Uh, we're a nonprofit writing and tutoring organization uh, serving students here in Los Angeles. Uh, we have sites in Echo Park, Mar Vista, inside of uh, Roosevelt High School, and also in Manual Arts. I'm so glad you're here because one, I've wanted to have you on for a while because you do a lot of things well over there, oh, uh, but also I'm a big fan of 826LA. So oh. can you tell people that might not know about it, just a little bit about what you guys do. 826 uh, got its start in San Francisco. Um, it was started by the author Dave Eggers and the teacher Nineveh Caligari. And um, the number 826 actually comes from the first location in San Francisco, 826 Valencia Street. And it was the location of the first site, which is still there. And uh, the idea was simple. It was a place where students from the community could get free help with their writing um, and homework. Um, and so the, the program uh, took off and evolved, and now we're in eight cities across the nation. We actually have a national office out of San Francisco as well. Um, and we all sort of share the same programs. We provide after-school tutoring students. Uh, they come in after school, help. they get help with homework first, then they uh, focus on some writing projects that we set up for them. We have workshops in the evenings and then also on uh, weekends. Uh, we have field trips during the day where entire classrooms come in and write a book with us in less than three hours, and students go home with their own published books. Um, and then we also um, you know, have workshops on a variety of topics as well. Well, the thing I want to talk about, actually, I use you all as an example all the time as an organization that did a really good job embracing things that just happen to be mm. and making it part of your brand. So one is the name mm -hmm. came from the first address. Right, right, that right. was just the spot you happen to get. Um, but the other thing was that first spot in San Francisco had a retail location in mm. front of it. And that has become so much a part of your brand. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. I should have mentioned that, that the, uh, you know, the original space um, was zoned for retail. And so they uh, volunteers were involved with, you know, Dave Eggers and others sort of taking the place apart to turn it into a writing center. And somebody mentioned that it looked like the inside of a a pirate ship. Um, and since it had been zoned for retail, they decided to open a pirate store, which, you know, in San Francisco is is, is a big need. Um, and it's the finest pirate store in all of San Francisco. Um, and so the the store theme in the front actually became a vehicle for not only recruiting volunteers, but also for doing some fundraising as well. So all the cities now across the nation have their own storefronts. So New York City has a superhero supply store. Chicago has a secret um, agent supply store, and LA has the time travel marts. Um, and so we, you know, cater to time travelers, and we sell things from the past and the future. Uh, we have woolly mammoth meat in cans, which is very popular, and Viking odorant. Um, but really, it's it's a way to sort of um, connect with the community. So folks who come through our doors, they realize they're not walking into your typical writing center. Um, you're coming through a time travel mart, and um, it allows us to really tell the story in a fun, unique way, and it gives kids the sense that. Hey, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm leaving school. I've been to school all day. I'm going to a totally different place where I'm going to get to write something. And wow, look, I walked through a time travel mart. And uh, so we, we really uh, want to keep, keep the, the creativity and, and the whimsy alive.
It's, it's really fun. And I think that what's great about it is it was born out of necessity, mm-hmm. but it's but you made it part of your brand, but also you connected to the mission. Like you just did. You said it's about creativity and that's why it exists. And it's part of your case for support, really. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, think that, uh, you know, there are not too many places that exist like this that, that sort of value creativity um, and that sort of uh, dedicate a whole space to it. Um, I think obviously, you know, with the founder, Dave Eggers, uh, the writer, I think, you know, he, you know, uh, he's a publisher as well. And he has a company called McSweeney's where he's been creating books for many years. And so um, I don't know if you've ever come across a McSweeney's publication, but I'm they're a big, big, huge fan. They're very, you know, they're very unique books. Books and, and they're created in, in a very special way. So a lot of that DNA is, is part of the A26 brand as well. And so we, we try to create things that are um, different. And even the books that we produce for our students, we, we want to create something that's special that they can take pride in and that, you know, will live on for, for a long time. It's excellent. It's so fun. I want to talk about your volunteer program. Um, can you talk about the role volunteers play to 826? I mean, volunteers are an enormous part of our work. I mean, we couldn't do what we do without them. Um, you know, in fact, you know, we have almost about 1,200 volunteers a year who help us with all these programs that we offer for free to students. Uh, the volunteers are coming to our centers that I mentioned uh, in Mar Vista or Echo Park or at the school sites. They uh, provide one-on-one support to students on their writing. In some cases, you know, volunteers are, you know, coming to our tutoring program and they might be working with three students. But the idea is to provide provide um, just individualized attention, especially when it's, you know, homework or on the writing uh, portion. You know, I was a former public school teacher. And so for me, you know, the program just clicked. It made complete sense. You know, I, I taught in San Francisco and I got very involved from the beginning with 826 when it opened there. You know, I had, you know, up to 40 kids in a classroom and it's still the same way today. Um, you know, I think there's a, a report released last year, a 2018 children's report card, where it says that, you know, the most effective uh, way to help kids is to reduce the ratio of students to teacher and California is dead last in that we're, we're we're you know really behind and our classrooms are larger than most classrooms in the country so what volunteers are able to do is sort of you know, supplement and support and provide that much needed individualized attention that it's really hard to provide as a teacher. I mean, I, as class, I taught history and I would, you know, often um, assign papers and I could, you know, probably do two drafts. I could, I could, you know, really give a lot of attention to that, but really giving students that individualized focus and feedback and, and asking for clarification in certain areas. You know, I do that sometimes. I'd put my desk outside and I'd have, you know, a student come out and talk with me, you know, for uh, 10 minutes while... <laughs> Hopefully the rest of the class didn't just, you know, disrupt. Um, But uh, now we're able to go into classrooms and bring a number of volunteers and provide individualized attention. Same in our center. So it's a huge part of our work. Excellent. So with 1,200 volunteers per year... How many kids are you serving a year? Um, last year, we served close to 10,000 kids. Wow. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah, it's, it was probably one of our biggest years. And, uh, yeah, and that's between all the programs and all the sites that we have. Um, you know, we'll see, like, you know, on a typical day, you know, in the morning, uh, we'll have a field trip come into either of our centers in Mar Vista or Echo Park, and there's about 30 kids that come in. Um, and so we'll need at least six to eight volunteers on hand to provide them the support and to help us write a book together. At the same time, we might be in a classroom um, at Roosevelt or Emanuel or another school, and we'll have volunteers with us uh, there. Um, then in the afternoons, we'll have the tutoring program, and we have at least, you know, th- up to 30 kids per site. Uh, who need uh, support and we'll need at least 10 to 12 volunteers on hand to make that work and then in the evenings we'll you know we have some tutoring at night and we also have workshops like journalism on Wednesdays so we just need folks um, all day and uh, through the week and so it, it really the numbers you know grow 
So talk about those early days, I guess, because um, I feel like for a while you were doing a very good job of targeting. It seemed like everyone I knew around me was volunteering for you all in some way. Mm. Uh, someone was volunteering as a definitely one of my friends volunteered to be a pirate. Mm. Um, and I was like, <laughs> OK, uh, that makes sense. That makes total sense. Yeah, um, yeah. But talk about how you first got, how you first started recruiting volunteers and if that has evolved in any way. Yeah, I mean, we we just don't say no to many things. I mean, we, we like to involve folks in, in any way we can. Um, so we, you know, we we the biggest need we'd have is, you know, volunteers who can help us with students in, in all the situations I've, I've described. But we'll take folks who can help us and be pirates or mm-hmm. to perform for us on stage for an event or, uh, you know, put on, uh, help us with design work, help us with with copy editing, um, we we have uh, lots of ways we can get uh, that we need support, and so you know at first, and even till today, it hasn't changed too much. I mean, we have orientations, um, you know, at least a few times a month on either side of town and at one of the sites in the schools, um, and we were pretty lucky. We get a, a good number of people that show up. Up to you know thirty or forty people will come to those what we call volunteering one on ones. And uh, we we try to make it as easy as possible. Um, and, you know, within two hours, we, you know, we go over our handbook. We talk about all the, the different programs and how to, to best sort of work with our students. Uh, we even have a person who's an on-site uh, live scan person who can take uh, fingerprints because it's a requirement uh, yeah. for, to work with us. Um, so, you know, we make the process a lot easier. Um, and, you know, and we're also something which we might have to change, but we've, we've always told volunteers that we'll take what we get. You know, we, we haven't set some sort of... We we haven't demanded like a certain amount of time. <laughs> I think I know what you mean by that. And it sounds funny to me because it's like, oh, whatever you got. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 I think we need to. And we are being a little uh, a lot more, uh, you know, clear about how we need there to be consistency. And obviously this work is only going to get better if we have volunteers who can be there regularly. Um, and so we have been making that a clear point lately and it's been working out wonderfully. Um, but, yeah, we you know, at, at the beginning, it was uh, I think we had a lot of attention, and you know, because of you know events that we put on throughout the city and also the books that we published and our stores. Um, and so, you know, we don't have a marketing budget. So a lot of it really is word of mouth through teachers, through great folks who um, admire our cause and talk about us. You know, our founder, Dave Eggers, talks about 826 whenever he gets a chance, when he's promoting a new book, whenever he comes through town, he'll do an event with us. Um, and, you know, today it's, it hasn't changed that much. I mean, it's still a, a lot of that same um, support from, from friends and people who put the word out about us. Um, and and, you know, luckily, you know, the, the challenge is that we do have a lot of interest, but retention is is, is a harder thing. Um, folks will come in with a lot of energy and are excited to come. And then, you know, reality happens. You know, folks realize they might a job pops up that they didn't realize they had, uh, you know, that would happen. And, and so what they thought would be time for volunteering fades away. So luckily, we still make it work. But it is it is one of the things we try to focus uh, um, our attention on. Let's start where they become aware of mm-hmm. 826. Um, so they may have been to an event. Right. Um, can you talk, your events were so, are so fun and so special um, and so weird. Mm. So in a great way. So <laughs> tell me about a couple of those types of events. Yeah. You know, at the beginning, you know, we, we realized we have multiple audiences of supporters. And so, uh, we actually started a lot of our events with cheating. That was kind of the the, the, the theme. Cheating, um, okay. Yeah, cheating. Um, this is a great <laughs> lesson for the kids I think you work with, so tell me more. We have to explain this to a lot of folks, but, uh, you know, uh, one of the first events we did was uh, mini golf for cheaters. And so we uh, what we did is created a whole... Uh, 
uh, you know, event around playing mini golf, but the way you would sort of um, raise money is by, you'd have to ask friends to give you money to support you in order to buy cheats. You would be able to buy things like, you know, a, a crooked ball or uh, being able to shout at someone as they were taking a shot. So it was just a, a fun, silly event that helped us, you know, uh, maintain our brand of, of silliness and creativity, but also allowed us to raise money. Um, we just couldn't figure out how else to get people the, to get the incentive to sort of give money. Right. Um, and yeah. so we, we followed that up with a spelling bee for cheaters where we, uh, you know, had folks get on stage and they, you know, uh, we teamed up with, with another organization who helped us with, with the, uh, with the cheats and, or excuse me, with, with the, um, content, but it was, uh, you know, folks going on stage and they had to raise enough money so that at some point they could use a dictionary, um, to look up a word, but we obviously would make it a little harder. We'd bring up the largest dictionary we could find. So it would take oh, and them. it'd be like a time limit. It would be a time <laughs> limit. So they'd have to sort of search through this book. Uh, so we just tried to f find fun, irreverent ways to sort of uh, raise money and, and keep uh, folks excited. And I think what's what was cool about those events, and when I think about your volunteer path and the type of people that volunteer, they were not gala events. They were not super expensive. Mm -hmm. um, the amount of money you were asking people to raise to buy these cheats was not a thousand dollars. It was, you know, ask yeah. for ten, fifteen, twenty-five dollars, right. and it seemed that. You were, it was a nice entry point, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, there were the hurdles to participating were not huge. Right. And, and we've, we've had to sort of expand beyond that a little bit. I mean, we have, we still every year try to do what we call the peer to peer fundraiser. <laughs> and that's, you know, really uh, geared towards, you know, our largest supporters, which are our volunteers and, and, um, you know, a lot of the communities that, that we work with, um, you know, but we also do every year now have a bigger event where the ticket price is higher and it's right. become, you know, events have become a big part of our fundraising model as well. Yeah. Um, and I think those smaller events mm -hmm. um, and the point I meant to make there, I guess, when I asked you that question was <laughs> that they weren't funding your whole organization. Right. They were to be introductions, not sustaining support to raise the entire operating budget. And so it took the pressure off of what you could like you could throw open those doors a little wider, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was a great way for us to sort of maintain, you know, our our you know our commitment to fun and creativity, which is a big part of what we do. Um, but you know, um, they they did raise some funds for us and were, and were very helpful to us. But yeah, I, I think really they allowed us to to sort of you know celebrate the work and celebrate our volunteers as well, who you know do so much to to help us. And and most of the people who get involved in those events are volunteers, so they not yeah. only give us their time when they come into the um, classroom or to the centers, but a lot of them are donors and a lot of them are incredibly supportive of the work in, in many ways. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, okay, so we our imaginary volunteer comes to maybe they participate in the spelling bee. Mm -hmm. They say, what a great group of people. Mm -hmm. What else can I do? Yeah. Um, so then how are you turning that participation um, into getting them into that path to be yeah. a volunteer? I mean, we, we never, um, you know, lose the opportunity to, to talk about the programs and what we do. So at our events, we will always try to feature our students or we will feature um, or talk directly about the work we do. I mean, we always have flyers at our events. Um, you know, we usually will follow up the events with some sort of email um, and an invitation for folks to, to support us further by coming in and volunteering with us. Um, we, we try to make it as easy as possible. I mean, it's on our website. Every, you know, every chance we get to, um, you know, get volunteers involved um, or answer questions or get them to an orientation. I mean, we make it, you know, just completely easy. Yeah. Um, you have a volunteer form on your website. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what percentage of people that actually fill out that form 
come to a training? I, that's a good, I don't know if I have the exact, uh, you can give me a rough estimate. Well, what we do know is, so what we've done is we've created a, an appointment based uh, system. So folks can actually sign up when they sign up, they sign up for, um, an actual orientation ah. and it's, you know, I would say, I'll, I would say up to 85% to 90% of those people will show up. Oh my gosh. Because those dates are pretty limited and we have a lot of people who um, are interested in coming in and they fill up fast. Mm -hmm. So um, once they fill up, you know, folks are looking for another date to come. That's so. great. And I think it highlights a very smart best practice, mm -hmm. which is in the moment of their peak enthusiasm, which mm -hmm. is like after having been to an event right. and filling out that form, like right. you're motivated at that point, you're asking for the commitment rather than being one of those places that's like, Please download our volunteer form, fill it out, yeah, and yeah. fax it back to us, which I have definitely seen this week. <laughs> yeah. um, and not a, I mean, I'm glad they have a volunteer right. form, so we celebrate that victory. But yeah. what you've done is you've, you've asked right away in the moment where they're the most excited. So I think that speaks to that high participation rate. Absolutely. Look, I mean, we don't take it for granted. We, we need the help and there's a lot of kids who need their support. So we, we've made it a, a big part of our strategic planning, you know, to figure out ways to make the process easier and faster. Um, because you know, we, we just couldn't reach that many students a year if, if we didn't have this, this support. So yeah, it's, it's very important to us. And luckily, you know, we're, we're not doing this alone too. We, we have partner organizations around the country. I mean, we're an independent 501c3 here in LA, but we're affiliated to the national organization. And there are the H six chapters in New York, Chicago, and all the other cities. You know, they they also deal with these same issues, and so we are able to share um, resources and are able to, um, you know, steal ideas from each other. So, um, so we've really evolved uh, into this place where we where we know we all need volunteers, and we all struggle sometimes with getting enough volunteers involved for particular programs. And so we've tried to ensure that we have a, a process that that can work for for all folks. So then this volunteer comes to an orientation orientation session, uh, which I'm positive is a charming, fun, silly, creative experience as well. Mm -hmm. You don't suddenly get serious, right? Well, it's, you know, you come through a time travel store, so it's already, right. you know, a very different experience. Um, sure. Um, uh, you get, what kind of information you're presenting to them? What is, it sounds like there's a volunteer handbook. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. It sounds like there's some admin you need to take care of um, in terms of getting fingerprints and getting yep. those background checks and that kind of thing settled. What else do you do during that orientation? So our volunteer manager or coordinator will be uh, running the session. And it's, you know, it's a PowerPoint, um, but we have uh, within it, you know, all the details around our programs and how to get involved and other ways uh, to get involved. Everybody will get a copy of the handbook. We'll go over specific areas um, that we want to make sure we highlight in terms of how to engage with students, how not to engage with students. Students, all the very important things. Um, we, you know, what we've also done is we've developed a volunteer portal on our website so that even after the training, uh, people can go to the site and they can download information that they maybe missed uh, during the training. Oh, great. We also have uh, trainings that we've saved on that website so folks can go in and uh, learn on their own. Um, we're trying to actually expand that part of our work to have more materials and, and trainings. Uh, we do a, a training on, um, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, where we really, uh, pass on a lot of information about, you know, you know, students, uh, learning about gender pronouns and, and a lot of different things that, uh, so a lot of volunteers are just not aware of. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, um, it's, you know, our, our students are certainly in, in, a, in a period of time of a lot of change and, and our volunteers, you know, may not be aware of all the, the different things that students are encountering and how, uh, folks are, are talking about identity and all these things. So we actually have a training on our website 
website that really um, answers a lot of questions. We have FAQs. Um, so we really just want to make sure that even if you know folks come into those trainings, which are fun, uh, we, we do some group work as well, um, but that they also have a place where they can find other information if they need more training throughout the year. So then moving someone from orientation to actually showing up to volunteer, mm -hmm. that's the next step, right? Yep. You probably lose a couple people in that process. Yep. Um, do you know roughly how many or how many actually make it to being that first time volunteering experience? You know, I think it's roughly like maybe a half. Half those folks will mm -hmm. come back. Uh, some will come back once. Mm -hmm. Some might come back for more than once. Um, but, you know, the numbers, depending on the time of year, mm -hmm. um, can can go up and down. What time of year? How does that plan? Yeah, you know, usually in like... Is it over committal in December? I mean, or like where you're <laughs> feeling like ambitious, like I'm going to do everything. And then you realize your schedule doesn't allow for that or tell yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, the quiet periods are usually like right, you know, at the beginning of the school year or like around January. Um, things slow down a bit more. Um, we have no problems evenings and weekends. I mean, obviously, people after work uh, have a lot more time. Um, and on Saturdays, uh, we have packed rooms with volunteers. Um, it's really those daytime programs uh, which are challenging, and it's where the most need is. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, folks will, will commit, you know, to, to volunteering. We ask them to, if they're going to commit to the tutoring program, that they, you know, at least commit to coming in weekly, if possible. Um, if they're going to do the in-school programs, those change. We don't have, like, a regular set time for those um, sessions. Um, but what we do is after they're done with the orientation... They're immediately now a part of our system, and we email them all the opportunities that come up, and we do this regularly, weekly, uh, which we've heard. We, we've done surveys, and we've heard that you know folks sometimes don't want that much information, um, but obviously we have a need, and we have to make sure we're getting it uh, to them. So we try to do it at least once a week where we have a f the full slate of programs we need help with. Um, we may, if we're low in numbers in certain programs, we may do dedicated blasts, or we may do calls as well. How do you retain your volunteers? We, um, you know, we tr we try to celebrate our volunteers as much as possible. Uh, you know, we we have a volunteer of the month program. We try to highlight our top uh, volunteers. Uh, we do an annual event called the Centaur Club, where we celebrate the 100 top volunteers who've given us the most hours of time. We, you know, we try to, uh, you know, throughout the year do f uh, just lots of fun events. We do, you know, um, special uh, activities after tutoring sessions, or uh, we used to do fun happy hours with events as well, with, with volunteers as well. Um, anything we can to sort of acknowledge them and keep them, you know, connected to us is, is, is how we mostly do that. Um, so in thinking about your challenge with daytime volunteers, um, one thing Trent Stamp mentioned when we were talking about having you on was that you received a grant mm -hmm. from the Eisner Foundation to focus on intergenerational volunteers. Mm -hmm. Does that solve that? Did it come from that daytime program challenge or where did that come from? Um you know, it's it's. I think the intergenerational volunteer piece. I mean, yes, part of it is for the daytime programs. Um, we've found, you know, we've had a lot of intergenerational or older volunteers for for some time. I think that um, many of them are f involved in our field trip program, which is the daytime. A lot of them are the most consistent folks we have who come into the classrooms, um, and also for our after school tutoring program. Um, yes, so they, you know, we we we've made it a goal to also increase the number 
number of, of folks that we're recruiting who are intergenerational and finding ways to um, get in front of them and bringing them, you know, uh, more into our spaces as well. Uh, but yes, the support uh, really helped us focus our attention on how to support those communities a little bit more. I think the needs of, of older um, volunteers are different sometimes in the, the younger volunteers we have. Especially yeah, tell me about that. So technology plays a big part, and I think we've heard a lot of times that volunteers have been challenged by some of the maybe the emails or the signups um, or anything that might have required sort of um, accessing their online pieces. So we've really um, have been able to take more time to you know survey our volunteers to find out ways that maybe make more sense for them. And in some cases, for volunteers who are older, it does make more sense to have individualized uh, meetings or to provide them with you know um, support in the um, signing up for for workshops or excuse me or signing up for volunteer opportunities or even just to become a volunteer. Um, so it's really helped us really focus our attention on that and to really look at ways that we can. Adapt Adapt our work uh, to to recruit and retain more um, older volunteers. So, when you said um, some of your older volunteers might be better helped by one-on-one -on -one meetings, is that the orientation piece, or well, in the orientations, or even after uh, volunteer opportunities, you know, to really uh, do some debriefing. Uh, we try to, you know, work with volunteers before and after our sessions to sort of answer questions or to engage, or even just to check in more regularly uh, with with our volunteers. Uh, excuse me, with especially with with all volunteers. But sometimes just ensuring that volunteers that maybe we notice might be challenged with a certain student's behavior or with not feeling like maybe their support is is uh, really, um, you know, hitting the target with the student. We're able to really sort of listen and, and try to try to sort of provide some um, other tools for them to, to engage with the students with. So you've mentioned a couple of ways that your older volunteers might have additional hurdles. What are some of the things that your older volunteers are so much better at? You know, I'm finding a lot of things. Um, you know, there's a... Uh you know, there was a study by, I think, Forbes put out an article not too long ago that uh, talked about how, you know, students or young people who have more uh, older people in their lives um, tend to uh, not have as many behavioral problems in the future. Um, you know, I know um, I've been reading up a lot on this and just really f uh, thinking about it. I mean, I know this Mark Friedman, who um, works on Encore, who started the Encore program, you know, he talks a lot about how you know, volunteers who are older, um, you know, for them, it's, it's it brings purpose to their lives. And a lot of times, and, you know, there's also a clear indication that older volunteers are also more empathetic. They've had a lot longer time to sort of mature and to sort of understand how to, how to work with, with people or to impart their wisdom. Um, I just find that, you know, older volunteers seem a lot calmer to me. Um, they're very relaxed and in a lot of ways are very patient. Um, whereas, you know, even some younger volunteers are patient as well, but you, you can tend that, that sometimes they're looking for a time to go check their phone or, or go do something else. Whereas a lot of the older volunteers I notice are, are there through the whole point at the desk, you know, only getting up maybe to go to the bathroom every so often and are really focused on listening and being calm. You know, a lot of our students, you know, come, uh, are, you know, come from families where there are even uh, grandparents still living with them. And so they're, they're, you know, I think having an older adult around them is, is, is comforting. And, um, and it really helps us in our spaces as well to just really help balance the energy that the kids bring in because the kids, you know, certainly come after school. I mean, they've been sitting in school Oh, yeah, they day. come in hot. Like they, they are. I've been there. Yeah. Very Energized, and I think it really helps balance things out in our spaces. Um, so, yeah, they bring a lot of incredible qualities that, that are helpful to, to our students and to us. And I would imagine there's some element of it where they're very helpful to your other volunteers. 
Yes, I have seen a lot of engagement between um, our older volunteers and some of the younger folks who, who even when we, there's break times, I, I see a lot of folks just talking and, and you know, uh, sharing their stories with each other. Um, we, you know, obviously we're a storytelling organization. And so um, we love those connections that are made by volunteers who are able to share their own life stories with, with others as well. So it, it's, it's, it's really becomes, I think a lot of volunteers, you know, they volunteer you know, to, to do something, to do something for their community, to, to, to uh, give. But what I hear from a lot of volunteers is they get a lot out of it. And so not only from the students, they're getting a ton uh, of, of, well, they're feeling great about themselves and they're feeling great about the work they do. And they're hearing just amazing things from students, but they're also connecting with other adults in that space. Um, and it's building connections for folks and it's helping them sort of, you know, um, you know, stay connected to their communities as well. I think one of the things I admire so much about how you run the organization, and you said it when we were talking before, of we don't say no to anything. <laughs> and I think that is true because I have seen your organization say yes to, for example, someone that wants to volunteer like a pirate, people that <laughs> want to do shows on your behalf, and mm -hmm. you have said, yes, I we trust you to do it. We don't need to be there. You can just do it and have fun and be creative. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen you say yes to people wanting to try out something or mm -hmm. learn a new skill. Mm -hmm. um, you all are very accepting of if someone's interested in you, you're interested in them. Yeah. But then my question is, <laughs> how do you maintain consistency and right. quality? Right. And how do you manage that many bodies? <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, you know, one thing is saying yes a lot. And the other part is how do you actually make it work? Um, you know, I think one of the areas of our programming where we are able to channel a lot of that um, enthusiasm and energy is through our workshops program. So we're able to bring in volunteers who, you know, have an idea for, for to work with students and we're able to turn it into something that can then you know, uh, provide students with, with an opportunity. Um, you know, recently, you know, we actually, there's a group, an amazing group called Critical Role that does a lot of uh, Dungeons and Dragons playing. And we had a volunteer come through that world uh, who uh, was really excited about seeing how to get kids more excited about this work. And, and so we've developed these workshops around that. Um, and it's been fantastic because, I mean, I don't know if you know, but the, there's this incredible community of people out there who, who love Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I know. Oh, you do know. Oh, okay. yes. I hope you're a player too. Uh, but these, these uh, Critical role folks are amazing and they have this group called the critters which are their followers and, oh and so we've had a, lot of, a lot of them are coming through and volunteering with us and in fact we have a i just left tutoring yesterday and there is a, a gentleman who i think he's from australia and he's only here for a little while who learned about us through this critical role um, website oh, wow. and he's playing dnd with the kids after they're done with their homework and these kids have never played this game but it's a to it's a perfect fit for us because it's storytelling and it's, yeah. it's real imagination it's sitting there together and, and, and taking on these roles of characters um, so you know sometimes it turns into something wonderful like that you know but there's other times where the idea might start some way and then it doesn't go that way but we, we try it's not always possible we don't always have capacity for all of it but we, we think that there's so much possibility out there and we don't want to lose that opportunity if we, if we don't have to yeah that's great I think you're helped along by the space you've carved out for yourself mm -hmm. being about creativity mm -hmm. so that gives you a wide a wide berth maybe on saying yes to some of that mm -hmm. but I could see other organizations being a little bit more a little bit more open to people's creativity probably yeah I think so I mean if it doesn't fit for you if you're, if you're focused on you know a specific issue that you know that that really requires people to be on the ground working with something I get it um, we're, we're very lucky and fortunate that way um, that we're able to sort of expand our you know our work to include a lot of different perspectives and, and interesting ideas um, Joel thank you so much for coming in today it was so great to have you 
have you here. You're very welcome, Julie. We really appreciate this, and we're so grateful for the support. That's all for today's episode of How We Run. Please check out goodwaysinc.com to find past episodes of this podcast and other tips about working in nonprofit. If you have any questions you want me to ask a funder on this podcast, you can tweet me at goodwaysinc. Please subscribe to How We Run on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and leave us a rating and review. Thank you for listening. I'm Julie Lacature, and we'll see you next week for another new episode.